let's pray. Uh, Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for laughter and for joy. We thank you uh, that you do pour out in our lives miraculously, Lord, not for our benefit first, but because it glorifies you. And then we benefit from your glory, Lord. So we thank you, Jesus. We thank you for the privilege to worship you through music, song, but also through your word. So, Lord, would you meet us in this place with your word this morning? Would you meet us in this place, Jesus? We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so last week was Easter, uh, but the week before that we talked about the the void in culture, and I want to keep talking about that today. Uh, I did some research. Over, was, does everybody remember that? We talked about how we, the church has left a void or a vacuum, and culture has filled that void and influenced the generation behind us. Gen Z is the most mentally ill generation in human history. Uh, it's, it's a travesty, but it's our responsibility to fill that void. I want to continue on that. Uh, and we're going to start in John 14, if you want to get your Bible ready. John 14, verses 5 through 14. But I want to talk about the root cause of why people are so out of their minds. Um, and I've got some statistics. You don't need to write them down. I can email them out later if you want them. Um, but America is the most fatherless nation in the world. Statistically speaking, 25% or more than 25, it's like 26, 27% of children grow up in America without a father present in the home. Okay, that's a quarter of all children in this nation. Now, before I go any further, this is not a single mom shaming time or absent father shaming time because the problem is just not dad's not being there in the house. Okay, I'm going to lead to a point, but I want you to understand that these statistics are indicative of a problem the church should be stepping into with a solution, okay? Understand that this is not, I'm not telling you these things to make you feel ashamed about your circumstances or your living situation. That's not at all the point. Amen? Amen. Okay. But we are the most, uh, we are the, the most fatherless nation in the world. And you think about that. There's nations in the world right now that are in war. Civil wars, uh, Ukraine, um, it's just, it, there's so many crises in the world. We're, we're the most blessed nation on earth, but we're, the also, we're also the most fatherless nation on the earth. The most fatherless nation on the earth. 51% of kids in, the, in this nation are born out of wedlock, which is another problem. 25% of, those of the, all the children in this nation are in a home without a father present. And that's staggering. Why is that a problem? Well, there's a, there's a number of reasons. But I want to give you some more statistics just to paint the picture. 85%, so 85% of children and teens with behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. It's crazy, huh? That's a high number. So 85% of all the children with behavioral disorders grew up in homes without Fathers. It's a lot. Seventy percent of all adolescent patients in drug and alcohol treatment originate in homes without fathers. Seventy percent. Sixty-three percent of youth suicides come from, can you guess? 
fatherless homes. This is a problem. Obviously, it's a problem. 75 of all of the inmate population in the United States grew up in a home without a father. These are staggering statistics, right? Furthermore, and I talked about this two weeks ago, 21% of Generation Z, so that's the generation behind me. I think that's people in their 20s. Not really sure. But 21% of Generation Z are confused about their sexuality. It's a huge problem. I mean, that, that used to be like 2%, 11%. Now it's 21%. 42%, and this is the one that's the most flabbergasting to me, 42% of Generation Z are diagnosed with a mental disorder. So you want to know why people are acting crazy? Half of an entire generation have been labeled with a mental disorder. My bet is because of the lack of fathers in the home. Okay? All right. So, all that being said, I want you to know that this is not a message directed towards men. It's not. Because we've been doing that for a decade or so, uh, telling men to be better men, and it's not working. It's not working, is it? No, in fact, ladies, what happens when you tell your husband there's something they need to do? They go golfing for 10 hours. <laughs> they go watch football or they go hide on a lawnmower, right? <laughs> I'm just being honest. Sorry, guys. It's just what we do. When you try to avalanche us with problems, we go fix something that we can control, don't we? Yeah, yeah. It's actually not healthy to just barricade men only as the, the reason why culture is out of, out of whack. It's not. It doesn't make any sense. It's not how Jesus ministered. Jesus didn't do that. He didn't come to make men better men. That's a byproduct of who he was and what he did. But that was not the point of his ministry. It was not to make men better fathers and to make men better men. That just happens naturally when your heart is consumed by the love of God. So we need to be honest that... If I just make this a message about men being better fathers, well, might be encouraged for a day, uh, might be excited to, to do more. But if our hearts are not changed and we don't take the problem for what it is, we're not filling the void. We're not stepping into the problem with the solution. I would almost bet that every person in here has heard the Father's heart message preached two or three times in the last 10 years. Is that accurate? Just raise your hand if you've heard a message about the Father's heart, the loving Father. So you understand, that's everybody. Everybody understands that message, correct? That there's a God in heaven. He loves you. He has a plan for you. He wants to use all the trials and the hardships of your life to, to better your future if you'll just give him your heart. We all know that message. But probably very few of us feel empowered to demonstrate that message to the world around us. Go to John 14, like I said. Go to John 14. I want you to see this. And again, this is Jesus affirming who he is and what his purpose is before he goes to the cross. Before he goes to the cross. He's, he's got his disciples with him, which is the representation of his church. 
and he's just downloading stuff to them right before he goes to the cross because he understands that they're going to experience tremendous pressure, persecution, and hardships as Jesus leaves them momentarily in flesh and bone. So he begins to give them all this information. And he says something in John 14, verse 5, that really sums up his purpose, his, the, 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 in a nutshell, what he was brought onto the earth to do. Okay, and it says that Thomas is questioning who he is. Thomas doesn't realize it, but he's actually pulling out of Jesus the answer that all of humanity needs to have answered. And he says, no, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And then Jesus told him, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. Verse 7, if you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. So Jesus, in, in just black and white, clear language says, my mission on the earth is to reveal the Father to humanity. So not only is his job to reconcile people back to the Father, but his, his priority is to reveal the Father to those who would see him. It's important that we understand that. Then Philip, verse 8, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. And Jesus replied, have I, been with, have I been with you this whole time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So in a nutshell, Jesus' priority was to reveal the Father to the earth. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show you him, show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but the Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. So why did Jesus do all the miracles he did? Why did he walk on water? Why did he multiply the, the bread? Why did he uh, raise Lazarus from the dead? Why did he open blind eyes? To reveal the Father. See, he does miraculous things because we need it, but he does it first and foremost to bring glory to the Father. And then as we see who Jesus is through the miraculous, we then see the Father. So Jesus' primary responsibility was to reconcile humanity back to the Father, but he did it by making the Father visible in his day-to-day -day life. Jesus made the Father visible, his character visible, his personality visible, his heart's longing and desire visible in his day-to-day -day life, so that when you see Jesus, you then see the Father. When you see how Jesus responds to the broken, the lost, the least of these, you see how the Father responds to the broken, the lost, and the least of these. It's important you understand that. So the point of the Son on earth is to reveal the Father in heaven. It's just a nutshell right there. The point of the Son on earth is to reveal the Father in heaven. Stick with me, because if you don't understand that, you won't understand the next part. Verse 12. This is a very profound statement Jesus makes. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me, raise your hand if you're anyone. Believe in Jesus. This is the qualifier. Anyone who believes in me will do the same 
works I have done, and even greater works, because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. <laughs> what a promise. I mean, that's just putting all your chips onto the table. You're, you're saying, I'm going to do it because you ask, and because you ask, I'm going to do it. Now, this is what I want us to understand. Jesus doesn't do it through us because it's what we want or what we need. Okay? Because he already promised in Matthew to give us what we need. What, you've, what you need has already been settled. You don't have to worry about what you need anymore. But when we ask, his desire is to do it through us because he wants to reveal the Father now through us. <laughs> See, you've been given the authority to do miracles, cast out demons, raise the dead, not just to destroy the works of hell. That's a byproduct. But you've been given that authority so now you can reveal the Father as Jesus did when he walked on the earth. It's the same authority but a different flow. It's the, same, it's the same work, but a different flow. Where once Jesus walked the earth, earth and did it for us so we could see the Father, now we walk the earth and Jesus does it through us so that the world can see the Father. See, this is the missing connecting point. This is the key, is we don't fully understand. Not only do we need to know who the Father is, how he impacts our life, how we can relate to him as sons and daughters, we also need to understand that we are sons and daughters who have been commissioned to reveal the Father on the earth. You want Jesus to do anything you ask? Prioritize revealing the Father through your life. <laughs> I'm just giving to you like Jesus said. You want Jesus to do the things that you pray for? Prioritize revealing the Father's heart through your life to the world around you. That's how you become unstoppable in your prayer life. <laughs> I'm just telling you what Jesus said. This is just his word. I'll do anything you ask. Not to make your life easier. That's not what he said. Not to give you everything you want because what you want is not really what you need. I'll do everything you ask so that the Father can be glorified through my life dwelling in your life. See, this is the key, is that when you prioritize your life around demonstrating the Father's heart to the world around you, you become a conduit of power from heaven into the earth. See, Jesus didn't leave so that we would just remember who he was. He left so that he could then authoritize us from the right, the right hand of the Father. He really just multiplied himself. Come on. He didn't just leave to, 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 to like present a new religion on earth. He left so that he could then ascend to the right hand and then descend into our hearts. He multiplied himself. He's the greatest business strategist that ever walked the earth. He says, you know what would make this easier? Is if I multiplied my spirit six billion times. So that no matter where you go on the earth, you run into my presence because somebody has prioritized their life around revealing who my daddy is. See, this is what we miss. 
It's to glorify the Father. So again, instead of doing the works for us to reveal the Father, he now does it through us on behalf of the Father. You are adopted as a son and daughter as Jesus is the Son of God. Now, I'm not saying you're equal to God or to Jesus. I'm not, please, <laughs> no heresy in Jesus' name. I'm saying that you have the same commission and the same power that dwelt in Je Jesus now living in you. So, think of it like this. No one on earth, whether they have a dad in the home or not, has to be fatherless. Okay? That's, that's the turn. That's what you've got to understand. Is Jesus built this in a way that no matter if you have a dad in the home or not, no matter if your dad died in war or died of cancer or was taken from you tra traumatically, it does not matter. No one on this planet has to be fatherless. But the church has to be responsible. <laughs> Do you see the difference? That means it's not just the responsibility of men. I wish it would be that easy, ladies. I'm so sorry, but it's your responsibility too. And men, you need to stand up and remember that you're not on this earth just to work on the things that you want to work on. The purpose of your life is to reveal the Father's heart through your heart. Does this make sense? Does it change the way you, you see how you do ministry day to day? It should. It should. When you begin to say, Lord, would you please show me your heart? Would you please make my heart more responsive to your heart so I can effectively reveal the Father on, on the earth around me? You actually open the door for the supernatural to begin manifesting in your life. It's a powerful prayer. God, consume me with your heart so I can prioritize making you known on the earth. Consume me with your character. Saturate me with what you think about. Show me how you love so I can be loved, manifested on the earth, baptized in your power. Go with me to, to the prodigal son story, Luke 15. I want to show you something you've probably not thought about. This really smacked me in the face this week. Everybody's read this story, right? I don't need to read the whole story. You've, the prodigal son, uh, the son leaves the father's house with his inheritance. Raise your hand if you've read it. Yeah, I think we all get the gist of that story. What are the three characters in this story? Two sons and the father. The first son we all can relate to is wayward, lost, running from grace. The second son we all can relate to, religious, bitter, angry, has forgotten his identity in the father's house. The perfect loving father who ministers powerfully in grace to both sons. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt like you've related to the first son before? Of course, everyone in here. Have you ever felt like you've related to the second son before? Come on. If you've not, you need to, to break the religious demon in your life. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> not sorry. Cast that sucker out. Come on. Have you ever used the, the picture of the father to see how the father relates to you in your life? Of course, if you haven't, you need to be baptized in the love of the father. Let me ask you a, another question that I know you've probably not thought about. Have you ever used the image of the father in this story to see how you can change your heart to better reflect what he looks like? <laughs> probably not, right? 
but we usually don't think that. We're still stuck in the slavehood mentality. Like the father is way up there. He's not invited me up to be like him. No, no, no. This story is three images that you can relate to. The wayward son, the religious son, the father who loves you, but also the father who you are to image yourself after. <laughs> who you are to image yourself after. So just to summarize the story very quickly, the, the wayward son, the younger son, uh, he's just a punk, rebellious. Uh, the father has an inheritance set aside for him. And the son's like, I can't wait till you die. Just give me that money now. I'm going to go do my own thing. Goes out, lives a worldly life, runs out of money, ends up in the uh, feeding pigs just to pay the bills. And it's at the moment where he's so hungry he has to eat the slop that he goes, okay, this was a bad choice. Uh, some of the parents in here, in, in my own life too, sometimes you got to let your kids, almost all the time, you got to let your kids wake up with slop in their mouth for them to turn around, right? you gotta, you got to let them hit the wall. Sometimes in, until you've let them hit the wall, there's always an escape pod for them to keep doing stupid. And you've got to let them figure out that there is a better life if they'll just get sick of the lesser life they're living in, right? So the younger son uh, realizes because he's now eating pig food, this was a bad choice. I could be a slave in my dad's house and eat much better than this. So he gets his stuff, makes his way back to dad's house. While he's on his way home, he's rehearsing, dad, I'm sorry, let me be your slave. Dad, I'm sorry, let me be your slave. And the father sees him from a distance and goes, there's my son. And he runs out, lifting his robe, runs out to him, wraps him up in his, his own robe, gives him a ring and kills the fattened calf for him calf for him and has a party that his son's returned. Well, meanwhile, the older son sees this and he's forgotten who he is in the father's house and he becomes jealous. Why is this guy getting the fatted calf? And the dad sees that and it says in the scripture that the dad goes out and he says, why won't you come in and celebrate your son or your brother returning? And it says in the scripture that the father actually begs the older son to come celebrate. And it says that the older son says to the dad, he says, you know what, I've been here slaving away. I've never done what this younger son has done. And you've never done for me what you've done for him today. And the father said, it's not because I didn't want to. It's because you didn't ask. See, some of us are religious because we forgot how good God is. And we're not willing to ask him to lavish us and to celebrate us. Okay. It's a beautiful story. You should go back and read it. But I wrote down some points that I want to read to you of how the father relates to the younger son and the older son that we can challenge ourselves with to relate to the lost world around us. Amen? You guys good? Tracking with me? Okay. This is not an exhaustive lift. You, you could probably reread the story and pick things out of the father's heart yourself that I didn't see that you could use to say, Lord, help me to be more like this. Help me to, to exemplify your character more in this way. But I just made a quick list so that we could begin this dialogue with the Holy Spirit. We've totally missed it that not only do we relate to the two sons, but God, you've asked us to be like you. We're made in your image. You've asked us to transform from glory to glory to glory to glory to reflect your goodness on the earth. Help us. We repent. Help us to engage society and fill the void by revealing the Father like you did through Jesus 2,000 years ago. Okay? Thank you. I appreciate that.
All right. The father characteristics in relationship to the younger son. So number one, the father sets aside his resources to establish his children for the next generation. His plan is not only to prosper himself, but also the sons who he is responsible for. It's a powerful word. We're us, the church, me, you, everybody else in here, we are responsible for Generation Z. We are responsible for Generation Z. That, that is the sons and daughters that we are called to mother and father in our lifetime. Not only do we need to be focused on prospering ourselves and building out our ministries and doing the things that we like to do, we need to set aside resources, set aside uh, whatever it looks like, to reach the next generation. It's true. <laughs> I hate TikTok. I hate Instagram and uh, Snapple chat. I hate it all. But I could probably preach the gospel through it if I would just get over myself. If I would set aside resources to reach the next generation. Okay. You guys good? Is this too much? Number two, the father is willing to send his children into their own path. This one convicted me. He's not trying to make them like him. There's no manipulation in the heart of the father. He gives space for his children to make their own choices, whether bad or good. That convicted me. You, you know, you think about that. The younger son came and asked for the inheritance of the father, and the father didn't say anything, but here you go. Go do you. He didn't say, why don't, you, why don't you do things my way? Why don't you do it the way I've become successful? He gave him the opportunity to find himself the way he felt he was supposed to. And it was in that freedom that the younger son found the pig slop. See, the alternative option is the father would manipulate him into staying, and the kid would have lived rebellious in the home his entire life. I don't know, just think, just think it through with me. Instead of manipulating him into doing something he wanted to do, he gave him the freedom to be his own man. And that's how the kid came to know the father. So no manipulation in the father's heart. We've got to purge ourselves of trying to manipulate people into what we want, just revealing to them the father's heart. Number three, the father is always on the lookout for opportunities to bring healing and restoration into the brokenness of his son's lives. And of course, you, you have that picture of him just looking down the road waiting. But he's looking for his older son too, isn't he? He notices his older son is, is not engaging in the celebration and he engages him. See, we're, we're called not only to reach the lost, but the religious. <laughs> You're not called to just wait until they come to you. In fact, Jesus said, go and make disciples. Go and engage broken people. Look for opportunities in your day-to-day -day life to reveal the Father's heart to people who have not yet met him. Number four, this one, again, is convicting. The Father does not keep a record of being wrong. So how many hoops did the young son have to jump through before he was able to come home? Zero. That's convicting. I mean, <laughs> You know, it's, I hate that my kids have to hear me say this, but they do. Like, sometimes I make my kids do things to prove themselves to me. I'm not sure if that's right all the time. Right? 
the father just runs out and engages him without the son doing anything to redeem himself. Not because of what he, he thinks he needs or deserves, but because he's a son. Because he's a daughter. Number five, the father uses his resources to cover the iniquity of his child. He provides safety and covering even when it isn't earned or deserved. So think about it like this. When the young son came home to be redeemed, what did he have to do to earn the robe that wrapped him, the, the ring that covered his finger, and the fatted calf? Nothing. He didn't do anything. Again, that's convicting. And number seven, a father celebrates, a mother, father celebrates his relationship with his sons and daughters. Celebrates. Just because they're in relationship together. All right, now let's flip to the other son. How does the father, the characteristics of the father engaging the older religious son? And we can pretend this is for the older religious church, I don't know. <laughs> Number one, he engages his son even when his son is, avoid, is avoiding him. Right? So his son is like trying to bury himself in, in works and in, in good deeds. And the father goes out and engages him. And I would say that I am guilty of not engaging. I like to just bury myself and what I like. Number two, he listens and takes time to hear his son even though he's already provided Everything the son will ever need. Again, the, the father owes nothing to anybody. He's already provided for the older son, but he takes time not only to engage, but to hear his heart. Just, just listens to him. Number three, the text says, it be, says he begs his son to come inside. And really what I take that to mean is that he's passionate in letting the son know that he desires him to celebrate and have relationship with him. Like demonstrating, for guys right now, demonstrating emotion, demonstrating your love is okay. It's okay. It's good. You don't have to be cold and hard with your sons and daughters. Number four, he reminds his son that he has everything he'll ever need. So again, just, just getting behind somebody and telling them, I, everything I have is supporting you is a powerful thing, isn't it? Just knowing somebody is fighting for you is powerful. Number five, he reminds his son that he's part of a bigger story than just getting what he wants and invites him to celebrate that story with him. Bringing someone alongside with you, just allowing them to walk the path with you. And again, he doesn't hide his emotions to the older son. It says he begs him to come inside and celebrate. So again, this is not an exhausted list. But I really think we can use this picture of the father and see the characteristics, characteristics of the father's heart to engage the lost and religious world around us. We can. We can. It's not one or the other, by the way. It's both end. It's both end. But we have to first understand that there is a void in society. There is a void in our communities, right? Like people are looking for God. Just like Thomas said, show us. Show us the Father. We're sick of not knowing. People are looking for God. The problem is, is that the voice of culture is just leading them back to themselves. Whether it be through LGBTQ 
whether it be through religious works, the voice of culture always leads people to themselves to find God. It's the church's job to step into that and go, no, 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 no. You don't understand. There's nothing but dead works inside of you. Turn your eyes from yourself and see Jesus. And then you'll see the Father. But we're at the point where nobody wants to hear that message anymore. So it's, this is different from the Jesus movement. People are not coming to the church in search of God unless they're already saved. So now we have to be violent in going out into the world. We have to be willing to get out of the comfortable place, out of the place of safety, go into the world to see God move powerfully on sons and daughters who have been lost. Okay. Stand up. Let's pray. If you've not experience the love of the Father, I want to pray that first because this won't make sense to you until you know that God is a Father, He has a plan for your life, He loves you. So Holy Spirit, would you come right now and would you testify within us, Abba Father, that you're a good Papa, that you have a plan for our lives. Would you testify within us right now, Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit, would you speak only the words a father can speak. Would you remind us again of your gentle nature, of your passionate heart? God, would you remind us again that you're violently fighting for us? God, would you fill us with your power? Would you fill us with your spirit? Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Baptize us again in the love of the Father. Baptize us again in your power. Father, we, we just wash off of us the, the weariness of the world, the striving, the trying to do things on our own, and we lay our lives down again and say, you are a good father. You have a good plan for us, God. We submit our lives back to you, Jesus. And God, as we look to you, would you then empower us, as you said in John 14. Would you show us how we can be more like you, Jesus? Not just for signs and miracles, God. We believe those things will happen naturally on their own. But so we can represent the Father's heart to the world around us. Men and women representing the Father's heart to the world around us. Father, we crucify ourselves in not wanting to do the work of the gospel, Jesus. We repent of being uh, unwilling and, and not getting out of our comfort zones. We repent of staying in the church to do the work of ministry, God. We repent of not engaging a lost culture, God. We, it, we repent of allowing religion to keep us stuck where we are. We repent, Lord Jesus, of not going desperately to a lost generation to reveal the Father's heart. Would you empower us, Jesus? Would you empower us, Jesus? I want to pray for you. If, you. if you need prayer for any of these things, please come forward for prayer for that. We're just going to worship the Lord. Can we get the musicians up, actually? We're just going to worship for a moment. If you've not experienced the Father's love, that's, that's where you need to start. Don't, don't do anything else until you've been baptized in his love. But after that, if you've just been complacent and comfortable and have not allowed yourself 
allowed your heart to be molded into the Father's heart, I just want you to come forward and receive prayer. And we're going to repent together because it's me too. It's not just, it's both of us. We all need our hearts remolded in the Father's image so that we can be empowered to reach the generation behind us. In Jesus' name, amen.